when I was doing the research for this this little what if, and it was saying in 1861, France was trying to reestablish empire in Central America, specifically in Mexico. So Napoleon III sent a force over there to invade. This is where we get Cinco de Mayo from, was the Battle of Pueblo in 1862. And, uh, or and Americans, thank you for that, because that's one of our major holidays. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you, France, for trying us another Mexico. reason to revel in your defeat. Yep. Dead bod history. What if? Welcome to this episode of Dad Bod History. What if? What if the South had succeeded in seceding is what we're going to talk about today. I'm Jake. I'm Eric. And let's get rolling. All right, Eric. So this is um, kind of the third installment um, that we've talked about with the Civil War. Yeah. Uh, initially, we started talking about Abraham Lincoln and his two speeches that preceded the Civil War, or one preceded and one was at the outbreak of. Yeah, excellent speeches. Um, if. If you haven't listened to that podcast, it's episode one. It's yeah, the very first pod, the fir- very first episode we did, and and, um, and I feel uh, getting through some of his speeches is really important to understand uh, his platform and perspective uh, before the war, during the war, um, and kind mm-hmm. of what he envisions as the outcome in the United States. So it, take a look yeah, at it, and the and the speeches in in. References uh, the Cooper Union speech right. and uh, the special session of Congress to declare war, correct? Those were the two yeah. we, were, we discussed, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of what started this whole discussion um, was those speeches and kind of how Abraham Lincoln was looking at the prelude to war um, with the South and, and talking about slavery in specific. And then um, we had a what if. And the what if episode we did was initially, well, what if the South did not secede? So what if they did not declare war, did not try to separate, form the Confederate States of America, and instead stayed part of the Union? And kind of how would America look different if that had not happened, if the Civil War had not happened, um, how long had slavery have lasted, that sort of thing. And now we're kind of going to the other end and the South has seceded, but they win the war. And and there's several points throughout the Civil War where you could look at and say, this was a turning point in the war um, for the I North think, or the let South. Let me stop you because I think there's one other option that, that's not often considered. Oftentimes people say, well, what if the South had seceded and won the war? Uh, the other option is what if the South had seceded and for whatever reason in the North, the uh, Lincoln couldn't drum up the support and the North just let them go. And yeah, I, you know, I, I just I, I think when we get into these what ifs, it's it's hard because unless you're pointing to a specific this specific thing happens differently. In this case, it's well they do end up seceding. So I, I think we're saying most people do seceding um, as a result of of winning the war, having the North give up on fighting mm-hmm. the war. So, but I do think that other option is available, but, um, which is not, not, yeah, I mean, it's not an unrealistic option. I mean, cause in a sense, I mean, Britain only fought the American revolution because it was not too expensive. And once it got too difficult and that's when they kind of threw in the towel, or are you saying like the North just wouldn't have fought at all? 
They just, I, they you know, it, it, it's possible. I mean, so you, you take one event in particular, the South Secedes, starting in December of 1860 through April of 1861, uh, through the various different states. And then uh, Fort Sumter, maybe the Confederates don't actually march on it. They just leave it alone. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, it's a Union outpost, but they could blockade it. Maybe they could just surround it, but never actually attack it and and just say, you know, we're not we're not making a first move. We left. If you want us, you got to come get us. Uh, that the Fort Sumter. Well, that it really would have been a, a truly an, a war of northern aggression had that been the case. Yeah, because uh, the North was responding to southern aggression on federal bases in the South. Uh, mm-hmm. So that that's a possibility. I think it's kind of an unlikely one. Um, but the yeah. question of what if the South manages to secede? And yeah. that's a lot of people have taken a look at this. And so, um, there's, um, and this is a historical fiction. Have you ever heard of Harry Turtledove? Yeah. He was someone I was thinking of when we were talking about this. One <laughs> and he wrote, he's written a lot of historical fiction. And they start on that. What if, what right? if the South had won? And specifically, and I, it's been years since I've read the book. Um, but specifically there's this memo that I think this, this, gets lost and the union, this memo falls into the union's hands. And so they are able to use that to win a battle. And this is early on in the war. And you mean it falls into the Confederate hands? The memo? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, and then it, but the whole issue is that in, in reality, this memo falls into union's hands and they use it to win a battle. Um, it's early on in the war in the first couple of years. And then, the premise of the book, which is the Second Civil War, is if that memo doesn't fall into the Union, and I wish I knew it, it was like some lieutenant finds it and says, oh, look, we found this. And right. um, McClellan, the general, is like, oh, well, great, we can use that to our advantage. Well, if that never had happened and that memo doesn't get into the Union's hands, they don't win this battle. The South continues to go on this roll that they have early in the war, and eventually Washington capitulates. And so that was the premise of the South winning the war. And, and like I said, there's several moments in the Civil War that you consider turning points had Lee won the Battle of Gettysburg um, decisively. Right. You could say that would have been a turning point in the war had um, had they been been able to keep the the Mississippi River open. That would have been a turning point. Right. Um, so there's several turning points in the war that you could say the South had a legitimate shot at winning. Um, and so if they did win, how would things look differently? And I, I think it, there's just a lot of good questions um, that can get asked because it, it would be it would affect not only politics and and relations between the North and the South. Um, it would affect relations with the rest of the the territories that the United States had and it would affect our relations with Canada, New Mexico, France, England. I mean it, it would be a, an international shakeup um, if the South was able to successfully form their own nation and the Union was not able to bring them back into the fold. Um, and I guess yeah, the so first thing I saw was um, kind of looking at it I was like well how would this affect the territories um, that the United States had to the West Coast? Because California was a state now, but much of the Southwest, like Arizona, New Mexico, um, was still territory. And much of the 
the Northwest and um, Plain States were not actual states yet. They were all territories. And so right. if the South wins, do they just keep rolling West? Um, or are they just happy with ending at Texas? You know, I, I, so, I think um, something there is, is simply in the capability. One of the differences we note between the North and the South is the North is urban, it's industrial, it's got lots of railroads, um, has a much larger population, has much larger like urban centers. The South, very agrarian, very rural, uh, much fewer railroads, much smaller population. So I think the desire to move West is going to be less so in the South than it will be in the North. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and to keep in mind that after the Civil War, after slavery is abolished, you have uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, African-Americans who move out of the South. And one of the places they move is to the West. Um, so that's going to be different. Arizona and New mm-hmm. Mexico, initially, I believe the border was actually... New Mexico was the southern half of both states, and Arizona would have been the northern half of both states. Mm-hmm. And that got changed after the Civil War because the North wanted to make sure that there wasn't a southern half and a northern half, one that claimed some heritage with the Confederacy and one that claimed heritage with the North. Um, mm-hmm. California being the southernmost northern state. Um, obviously any Southern expansion to the West is going to end there. Um, so yeah, that claim with Arizona and New Mexico and looking at that map, the South, the, the Confederate States were, were claiming that lower half. And so essentially you would have one contiguous border with the Confederate States, um, all the way across the border with Mexico. So the North, Outside of California, have, wouldn't have outside of California and Baja yeah. California, they wouldn't have a border with Mexico, which at the time was a really big deal. I mean, it's a big deal today, but it, it was yeah, a big deal so, in the sense that Mexico was a, a strong trading partner with the United States. Yeah, and I, I guess that's going to be an issue. One question I would have is, what's going to happen with um, as both countries expand west? How much conflict is there going to be over territories? Um, that might not be fully claimed or, you know, mm-hmm. it might be claimed on paper, but then there's nobody there. I mean, the United States in the 1800s did that over and over and over. We just moved people into an area, even if the English owned it or the French owned it. And then when it came time to make a deal, we said, well, we've already got 10,000 people living there uh, mm-hmm. and they're not going to move out. So that's, you know, that, that could be an issue down the road. Um, I wonder if one of the more immediate results, um, you take something like, um, you know, how are relations between the North and the South following a war in which they do separate? You know, do they continue to be trading partners um, for places that are on the border? Do you continue to have, they they all speak English. Uh, You still have family on both sides. Uh, what do relations tend to be? And and we look ahead to like the late 1800s, early 1900s during what we consider to be an American imperialism age. Uh, mm-hmm. Is the United States still grabbing uh, territories? Do we go to war with Spain? Is there 
a land war in the Americas if one side sides with Spain during that war. So, and not to mention, does the U.S. have a presence in Havana Harbor with the USS Maine um, if the southernmost state is West Virginia? You know, is our, do we still have that kind of naval prowess to be in the Caribbean in the early or the late 1800s to be in position to have a ship blow up in Havana Harbor and start a a war with Spain? Or is it, does it flip and it's this now Confederate States of America because they have Florida? Do they get involved in the, the, I guess, the Cuban civil, your Cuban revolution with Spain? And kind of assume that position and say, well, we'll we'll go down there and we'll send a ship. It's not called the Maine, obviously. Yeah, um, it'd be called the Probably Virginia called the, or the Lee. Yeah, or the Lee. Yeah. No, it, no. The USS Lee. Battleships are, ba- are named after states, so it'll be yeah. named after a state. Probably the Virginia. But they send down they send down their ship. Yeah, the Virginia, and they send down the Virginia to 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 Havana and that blows up and then they use that as a premise to get into the Spanish. I mean if you consider Confederate that, States war. The the reason we were involved there if I remember correctly is uh the sugar plantations and we had Americans in Cuba involved in mm-hmm. some of the farming. If that's the case, is it more likely that they're from the south being more agricultural based? Um yeah. and and so then do you have a, a war with, you know, the Confederate States of America with Spain? Does the United States of America get involved and say, well, we can help you out, Spain. Uh, maybe we'll buy up the Philippines from you and Guam and uh, and Puerto Rico, and we'll help you defeat the Confederate States. Um, it's certainly, it would certainly be an opportunity for potential payback. Um, So I I, I think it's interesting. Is that something that after that war that's still going to burn, what, Mm -hmm. 35 years later? Obviously, it still burns today. We know that. Um, Yeah. But 35 years later, is it going to be enough to kick off another war? And is a a land war in 1900 going to be as devastating as a land war in 1865? Or is devastate, or is it going to be more devastating than that? Or is it going to be as devastating as a land war in 1914? Well, here's what it's interesting, and, and the 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 the, the, ter- the Turtle Dove series, and he starts with the Civil War, and yeah. it progresses on um, through at least World War II is kind of when I stopped reading them. But he discusses that, and it basically accelerates the timetable for modern warfare because we first got a taste of modern warfare in the Civil War with um, artillery kind of becoming advanced, the first ironclads, and then repeating weapons or yeah. repeating guns with your, your Gatling gun and repeater rifles. All that stuff kind of happened in the 1860s, but we didn't know what to do with it yet. Um, and then 1914 was when it, like when you had the first mass mobilization with modern weapons. But in the 1890s and early 1900s in America, that would have been the same thing. Um, By then, you don't... Pretty much every gun is now some sort of machine gun or repeater. Um, All ships are now ironclad or some sort of steamship like that. Um, And so you would have had this accelerated, but instead of it being fought uh, 
in between France and Germany, it would have been fought between Ohio and Kentucky. Like it, like the front would have been splitting the North and South similarly. And, and the, the turtle of series on this, the second civil war, it really goes into great detail about how trench warfare would have taken hold in across North and South America, America through North and South. Um, yeah, and it was, it was a really fascinating hypothesis or, or get, you know, uh, I guess, theory. Yeah, just the, the thing about, you know, I think about uh, try to transplant trench warfare from 1914 and 15 onto the United States on like an east-west border uh, or a border that runs east to west. And the thing that, um, you know, the... The front on the west in Europe ran from Switzerland to the sea um, over rolling hills and plains. Mm -hmm. But you try to run that front across Virginia, West Virginia, uh, Kentucky, Ohio. Um, you're going to run into the Appalachians. You know, what does trench warfare look like in Appalachia? You know, it's, it's, Probably what it looked like in... When um, between Italy and Austria in World War One, yeah, I mean, where they're fighting in the mountains. Gosh, I mean that's 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 a whole different type of brutality, and that's assuming that that they go to war again. Um, you know, and I think Harry Turtle Dove series. I enjoyed it. Um, I think I got maybe to the World War Two section and I kind of drummed out yeah. around there. But you know, try to trying to transplant World War One, whether whether it happens in 1900 during uh, an American-Spanish crisis, or if it happens um, even in 1914 when there's an actual world conflict, you know, is one side going to side with the central powers mm -hmm. here? Is one is the North or the South going to have a close relationship to England? And that's a bigger question because we know that the yeah. South had a, had a big trading partnership with the British. But it wasn't, you know, when, when trade got cut off by the North, when they blockaded the South, the British were fine. They had enough raw materials. So, you know, I've read several accounts. Well, the British, you know, wanted that cotton. Yeah, they wanted it, but they didn't need it. It wasn't um, critical that the British It wasn't have, worth going to war over. Yeah, it, it wasn't worth it for them. So, no. but after the Go war, ahead. is the South going to develop that relationship to a point at which the South has a better relationship with, with Britain than the North, because you could be looking at one side sticking with the allies, one side going with the central powers, but you could end up with both sides allying with each other and going over to France to fight the central powers. And um, here's what's interesting is that when we were looking at my research, when I was doing the research for this, this little what if, and it was saying in 1861, France was trying to reestablish empire in Central America, specifically in Mexico. So Napoleon III sent a force over there to invade. This is where we get Cinco de Mayo from, was the Battle of Pueblo in 1862. And, uh, and Americans, thank you for that, because that's one of our major holidays. <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you, France, for trying us another Mexico. reason to revel in your defeat. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> and, and what happened was... France, the United States, the, so the North, was not in favor of this French incursion into Mexico. But the South 
was at least friendly to the idea. And so in my research, they were saying, had the South won, um, they possibly would have helped France um, in their shot at empire or shot at colony back in Mexico, um, which would have shaken up our, the North's um, ally, because France was the United States first and has been their longest ally since the very so beginning of the question. nation. So it would have shaken that up. Um, you still there? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah. Um, so, so here's a question. If, and, and maybe I'm, I'm reading too much into it. Maybe politics is, is eating us all alive. Do you think this, <laughs> Yeah. so the North sees France making an incursion into Mexico and says, we're not fans of that. And the South is just like, well, if they're not fans of it, we are, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of the, uh, playing that not the devil's advocate but being a contrarian obviously you know when you see you're having a conflict with somebody and they say some one thing you're just well i'm going to go with the opposite just because i Mm want to be contrary to you um and it's curious if we're going to go forward into world war one and these nations are they going to side with kind of their natural ally in britain and then, by extension, France? Or are they going to ally against each other simply because um, the, the blood of the Civil War is still still fresh in the ground? And maybe the North is looking for an opportunity to go back and, and get them back. Um, you know, I, I, I think initially I go to World War One as being the big question mark of what happens between North and South. But I think... Some of that is going to be resolved much earlier with the Spanish-American War, if there's anything going on with Spain, uh, if the nation is split. But I think the bigger question that most people consider is what happens with slavery. And we kind of touched on this before. If the South never seceded, what does it take for slavery to end? If the South does secede and they succeed at it and they're they're separate, how long do they hold on to slavery? I'm sure there's people out there that would be like, oh, they'd still have slaves. We'd still have slaves in the South. Like, I, I mm-hmm. doubt it. I highly doubt it. Because apartheid South Africa ended. And that happened 40 years ago. So I don't think slavery lasts until today. And I think our assessment last time when we talked about this was that slavery is going to end effectively when photography gets its legs. Mm-hmm. And if there is a civil war in the South winds... There's two things in play here. One is photography is going to be sped up enough to show slavery, but the South is going to have entrenched itself in slavery uh, simply because of the war. So how long does slavery last? In one post I saw, it may have been on Facebook, which I'm ashamed to say, was basically like industrialism will end slavery. But I'm not sure that it will, because the cotton gin was an in, in well, it was an agriculturally revolutionary device that incentivized more slavery. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess the question there is how long does slavery last in the South if but the South I, is free of all northern pressure? I think I do think there's a there is a truth there because part of the reason the North emancipated uh, on their own is because they were more industrial and they didn't have the need for lots of manual labor to do with, you know to produce. Um, so it made transitioning from slavery a lot easier in the northern states. So there is a truth there. Whether or not it is 100% true, I don't know. Um, but there is something to that, that, that industrialization would have, would have accelerated the end of slavery in America, regardless of whether or not the South would have won the Civil War or not. So I, I, I would agree with that in some respect. Yeah, that would, that would be a curious thing to see, um, how long it takes for them to abolish slavery on their own, without northern pressure, without pressure from free states. Mm -hmm. um, and then to see what happens after slavery is abolished. Um, because if it's not abolished quickly and uh, enforced upon that region. Well, and part of the reason, and here's where I like this whole, like, where does France go? Where does where does Great Britain go? Is because Great Britain and, and Queen Victoria declared neutrality at the beginning of the war, right? And England kind of played both ends, you know, against each other because they allowed the Confederate the States to build their navy. Yeah, the British did allowed the Confederate States to build their navy in Liverpool, and they continued to trade with the Confederate States, um, and even helped the Confederate States create ships that could run the blockade. So. It wasn't until 1863 when the Emancipation Proclamation came out that England said, uh, yeah, I guess we can't be neutral um, because by Lincoln declaring that, he shifted the war from an economic issue to England into a moral issue right. by saying this is now about slavery and we are ending slavery in America, which England had done in the 1830s. And so you can't – England looked at it and said, well, we can't support – the southern states, we can't support them by uh, underhand, you know, under the table or anything like that. We have to come out against them now. So had the Emancipation Proclamation had it happen, England's now pretty firmly in the camp of the northern states, which France and the South could have made, you know, could have pushed them closer together. Had the South won, I still think the, that Great Britain would have stayed uh, on the side of the northern states because they kind of made their bed with that, um, with the Emancipation Proclamation. And France and England are not natural allies. I mean, they they have a history against Only each other the Germans longer than anyone else in Europe. those two allies. So, and they've Basically, done it twice. <laughs> yeah. So I think it, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if France ended up siding with the southern states and England sided with the northern states as far as allies and trade and treaties go uh, in the well, foreseeable so if you take future. That, if you take that to its natural conclusion, that the north has strong ties with the British, the south has strong ties with, with the French, which does make more sense. There's more French uh, heritage in the south. Um, mm -hmm. When World War II rolls along or comes along... World War One. Uh, oh, yeah, World War One, then... Then the North and the South, although it's going to be at different times, in fact, the South might get involved in the war much earlier than the North. Uh, and again, you know, what what happens in the 45 
years of interim between the Civil War and World War I um, that maybe changes American perspective on, uh, you know, isolationism. Are Americans yeah. wanting to be isolated or knowing that they have uh, an international uh, group right on their continent besides the Canadians and Mexicans, now you have unions and confederates, and maybe the confederates are really treating themselves like in confederacy, so you've got Virginians and Alabamans and Floridians. Uh, the idea that it maybe it's having an international group on North America changes the perspective on isolationism. And so maybe yeah. North yeah, because they can't just be left to their own affairs now. They yeah. have to engage yeah, the as an international body. And Americans probably get involved in the war a little bit earlier. And that could shift the way World War One finishes. And um, I know well, I think it would shift does. a lot because part of part of Germany kind of being the lone lone man on the hill in World War One was that England and France had this strong alliance and Germany had Austria. Had Austria. But Germany actually has really close ties, especially with the monarchy in England. Yeah. Because they're, they're the Germany. Windsors are not Windsors. They're, when, uh, they're Montbatten. They're, right? No. Well, that's Philip. But they were um, oh, yeah. Mary Wives of uh, what did, well, uh, Kaiser William Wilhelm and Mary of Orange. William and Mary of Orange. And he said, instead of the Mary Wives of Windsor, it should be the Mary Wives of Saxe, Coburg, Gotha, which that's, is where they came from, which the was the thing. same family that Kaiser Wilhelm was from. So, all that said, yeah, Wilhelm Germany, and Nicholas II were yeah. uh, the nephews of Queen Victoria. I mean, yeah, they're all they're all very closely related. Their, their race to build a navy was not an international one. It was a it was a family, uh, you know, it was a contest of wills within the family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like at a family picnic and you, everyone's trying to, you know, yeah, do the, the except, three-legged race fastest. And that's all it was. Except so three-legged races, superpowers. Yeah. yeah. And and so anyway, the, the it, it could have shaken up how the makeup of World War One in that if the United States and England are tied and the southern states and France are tied, that probably means England and France are not tied together. And Germany would be able to forge that out, uh, that relationship with Great Britain. And so it could have been the United States, Great Britain, Germany, Russia, and then France kind of on their own. Well, so I, And I don't know if it would have or, or if that even means World War One actually happens. I don't know. It just – it would have shaken up international relations. Well, I mean we're, we're kind of going long for a what if, but – I know. You know, what just occurs to me now is if you have a North and a South that are separate, if you have a Confederate States of America that are allied with the French, well, what happens in 1870 and 71 when the Prussians come rolling through France? Do they call on on Confederate troops to assist? Mm-hmm. Do we get, uh, you know, because while the United States of America may have a policy of not getting involved overseas... Maybe the Confederate states have a completely different outlook on that. Or maybe they don't. Maybe they, maybe they have a very isolationist view, being that they want to be left alone. But if it's possible, the French say, we need help. And suddenly you have Southerners in France in 1871 holding off a Prussian advance. Maybe 
the German Empire never exists in the form that we understand it. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you can say, here, this thing, what if this doesn't happen or what if this happens instead and, and the branches grow pretty quickly? Mm -hmm. um, but that that's kind of history, isn't it? Yeah. Which would have been wild. I mean, it would have just been unbelievable to see how much could have changed in, in the way we look at our international politics just based on if the South had succeeded and I mean it took the, the Union four years to defeat essentially an underfunded under-industrialized upstart nation and, and, and so it, it was by no means unpopular. an assured victory yeah you know it became an unpopular war yeah the draft riots um so up until the point that Lincoln changes it from, you said economic war, but a war of, of pride, a war well, to I, I think it was, the Constitution, but it, it was an economic war to Britain. I didn't say it was oh, an economic yeah, war right, to, right. to the Union. So, but to it, Britain you know, it was economic. To, to Lincoln originally, the first two years, it was a war to maintain the Constitution. And sadly, a lot of people are not, you know, they're not too concerned with the Constitution. We see that today. Mm -hmm. But when he changes it to a moral war, a moral uh, a contest, that changes it. And that gives Northerners a fuel that they didn't have before. Yeah. Uh, and we saw that in World War II as well. You know, yeah. once there was a, you know, the, the films that the Department of War put out were called Why We Fight. And they showed them to to soldiers as they were training to say, this is why we're doing what we're doing. We're going to give you the why so that when you're over there and you're wondering why am I over here? You can say, well, this is what the Nazis do. This is what the fascists in Italy do. This is what the imperialists in Japan do. And we're here to stop it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that change to a moral imperative probably is what turned the war in the favor of the North in the yeah. end. You know, tactics Definitely. and strategy aside, um, it all comes down to do the soldiers have the will to do what's necessary uh, morally and for a good moral reason. So, Yeah. It's a great way to end it. There you go. So, that's it. Forgot what what if? I'll have to listen to it later. <laughs> what if the South had succeeded in seceding? Uh, thank you guys again. We'll see you next time. <laughs>